Welcome back, everybody. This is Eric and Matt, and this is Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit, your beacon of freedom and the American way of life. Tune in every Friday for a new episode as we dive into the world of liberty and what makes our country great. We're going to be diving into this whole discussion that's been floating around about government overreach, right? I mean, with the COVID-19 stuff, unless you've been living under a rock, obviously you're familiar with the amount of social distancing and the lockdowns and all of the shutdowns and everything we've been dealing with and the mandatory closing of businesses. Uh, it certainly sets forth a very frightening set of circumstances where anytime something happens, the government is always quick to want to seize more control. And, um, you know, our founding fathers certainly warned us of this type of behavior, and we want to just kind of dive into that subject a little bit. So, I mean, we, we've discussed in previous podcasts where we might have kind of lost our way collectively and uh, as a nation and where we've gotten away from our founding principles. But our founding fathers certainly were proponents for small government. And what's your view, Matt, on this whole thing about the way the government, it just seems like, They've become this megalodon where it just grows and grows, and it's all these departments and all these spending bills and all this amount of money and all this procedural jargon and, and just all the the smoke and mirrors that surround you know the way our countries ran. You know, something is to be said about big government. Um, their job is to make government bigger. Um, their end goal is to create more overhead, to create more departments, to create more um, different departments and, and different things that they can control, which means they have to hire more people, which means there has to be people to lead those people. And I think it's just gotten a, a bit much. Um, the intended nature of the government was to be a small government and to have significantly less overreach than it currently has. Right now, we are seeing in many states the amount of overreach that those governors uh, are willing to do in order to instate uh, or represent their power. Georgia uh, isn't necessarily one of them. Uh, there are states like Michigan um, that are extremely uh authoritarian uh, at, in the way that they execute these um, forcing and right now with the COVID, you know, pandemic slash crisis that you hear, um, you know, forcing face masks, making it mandatory. And I'll just touch on that because that seems to be the low hanging fruit right now is mandatory face masks when you go out. And I know that uh, my personal feeling is, is that if a government institute institutes that law, they then have to provide uh, face masks for the individuals. Uh, now, if the private business, on the other hand, institutes that rule, uh, then they have every right to do so. So there is a difference between being a, a free person, having those individual freedoms, both as citizens and business owners versus government. Um, on one hand, it's okay for a private business or a private citizen to want that and and ask that before you come into their business, you have a, a face mask. It is not okay uh, or acceptable by any means for a government to mandate that. 
um, because there's really nothing to base that off of, and there's nothing that they're not providing that to the people, uh, face masks wise, to to do that. Yeah, I mean, you're certainly correct on that, and and I believe that. One of the things that gets thrown around a lot is we talk about, you know, we did our podcast on social media censorship. Right. And we, of course, have mixed feelings about how we feel about that particular type of undertaking. Because on one end, you know, I am very libertarian-minded. I don't consider myself to be a libertarian because the problem with libertarians is that they spend too much time arguing about who's the most libertarian. Right. So. I don't care about all that noise. All I know is I care about liberty and I care about freedom and I care about people and the relationships that people have with each other and the relationship they have with their government is a pretty important thing. You know, people in general don't want to be governed. I mean, and that that's it's very natural in American society and as I believe as the hardcore Americans really feel is that you know, they don't they don't want to be governed. They just want to be free and there there's certainly this really scary paradigm between the social media censorship and then this mandating of, hey, you got to wear a mask. Oh, well, you have to be six feet apart. You can't tell a business how to operate. So a lot of the issues, right? Okay, PragerU, the lawsuit with Google, YouTube, the whole thing over the censorship. Well, YouTube won that, that lawsuit or whatever, and I guess it got thrown out. Well, the whole idea is that, as we've discussed in previous videos, YouTube wants to be treated, they want to act like a publisher, but they want, they want to have the benefits and flexibility of being an open platform. You can't have your cake and eat it too. So the argument has kept being, okay, well, where do they become, you know, a publisher? When, when do they have publishing rights? You, you keep seeing all this fact check stuff. Right. Oh, our independent fact checkers found this to be a false information or fake news. And it's very scary that we place that trust in people. You know, well, who gets to determine what the correct information is right and that can be applied to information that's being put out in regards to COVID-19 all right so say that some independent doctor puts out a post which I've seen multiple independent posts that you know we're talking licensed physicians and you know guys that study germs and viruses and stuff have put these you know videos out saying oh well you know people shouldn't be as worried about it as they are because it's no more deadlier than the flu we're talking a 0.03 percent death rate all right, so far, and then not even as deadly as the common flu is year-round. We're talking a flu that kills eighty to 90,000 people every year just in the U.S. alone. Okay, and you've got scientists coming out and saying, hey, we think that the media is making this to be a bigger deal than it really is, and they're trying to, you know, sort of over-glorify uh, and, and literally sort of lie in, in terms of certain statistics you know, all right, and the whole idea being that someone gets um, sent to uh, the ER or gets sent to the emergency room or the hospital or omitted uh, to, to care or whatever, and they have underlying condition, and then that uh, person unfortunately passes. The whole issue being, oh, well, if they showed co any sign of COVID-19, they're going to list it as a COVID-19 death, when really the underlying causes might have been why they they died. Okay, so... That becomes an issue. The government gets a hold of this jewel, right? We give them this jewel of trust, and that's the issue, is the government will always want to achieve and hold what they value as the public trust. And whether that public trust is obtained through lying or whether that public trust is obtained through just good data or whatever the case may be, there are times in our history where we look to the government and go, 
Heck yeah, right? You know, okay, think back during the 50s, during the 60s, you know, the, the whole Cold War era, right? Everyone was so worried about the Cuban Missile Crisis. They were worried about communists attacking us. They were worried about nuclear war and everything like that. So there's been times in our history where we're really sure about things as a nation, right? Okay, the, you can compare this to all the bomb drills that the schools were, were holding, right? All right, well, we got to do our bomb drill. We got to do our, you know, put your gas mask on. And they issued like Mickey Mouse gas masks wow. to the kids, you know, back then. The government issued them. So, yeah, all right, we're going to have this mandatory gas mask test or or a bomb drill. But they implemented and instituted the necessary methods and precautions and SOPs and everything they needed to carry out those tests in a way that that would protect the kids. You know, and they had the little Mickey Mouse gas mask. And that had to have been a scary time to be alive. But there's been times where we've been sure about things, right? When we... When we go, hey, you know, yeah, communism is scary. Heck no, we don't want the Reds here. And we supported the government. And the government was really worried about communist um, regime change or communist control over the populace or communist influence. All right. And now you see this huge shift in the way that people think about the government's role in society and the division in politics that exists today is far more worse than what it was back in the day. Okay, now you've got one side of the political aisle that are openly communist. Oh, yeah, man. And they're not only openly communist, they're certainly openly progressive socialists. They're running on it. As you allow that socialist progressive policy to continue down that path, it becomes, well, full-blown communism. Okay, so you have people who are basically self-professed communists. They're not shy about it. They're not lying about it, and they're not being shy about it. And you've got these people trying to make decisions in relation to policy. Well, you have at least the perceived head of the other coin. Is, is Most Americans perceive the other side of that coin to be a group of people who have conservative values, who value classic American conservative values. Let's just throw this spaghetti at the wall and say, you know, Christian, you know, goes to work, works hard, pays their taxes, you know, gets married, has children, has a family unit, you know, middle of the road, owns a car, has a mortgage, conservative American values. Hey, you know, these moral, this moral code, th- this code of principles, this religious dogma that they attend to, right? Uh, conservatives, you know, meat-eating, owning a gun, driving a truck, conservative, rural people, generally is what they associate with more of the conservative people. So, When you get on that side of the coin, you've got this group of people that thinks, well, hey, we just want to live free and be left alone. And then you've got this other group of people on the other side that's like, oh, no, socialist, progressive, all this communism, communist that, oh, the government should provide everything. So when the media, of course, latches on to one side, and of course they always favor the progressive, liberal, you know, uh, progressive Ideas right. is what the media always attaches to and clings to, okay? And the problem is their information, do you think that they're going to put out information that is actually factual and that they think is going to help the situation? Or do you think they're going to put out whatever information their handlers tell them to, which is the classical communism example, right? Communism, Communist countries are known for lying to their people and to telling whatever lie they need to do to protect the state. It's always about the state. 
Right. It's always about the collective. It's never about, oh, well, your, your individual life doesn't matter. It's always the collective. So what do you think they're going to do? The, the media is going to toe that proverbial line to do whatever they have to do to protect their handlers. And that's what's scary. As you look at the, what the mainstream media reports, and it's completely contradicting the way average Americans feel that are out here trying to do their job, make a living, go to work. And then you got this government telling you, oh, you're non-essential. You can't go to work. Essential? So, wait a minute. That dang tax money is dang sure essential, uh, essential to the way that you know you have to draw your paycheck and all your expensive tax, uh, taxpayer-supported benefits and your private security and your gated community you live in and your expensive car that you have to drive back and forth, your, your government-sponsored car and your government-sponsored meals and your government-sponsored decoration budgets and all these other bull crap that they write into this stuff and voting in your own pay raises. So all that's essential. The average person, you're dang right, is essential because without taxpayers, you don't exist. We pay your paycheck. So how do they have the audacity to say that a hairdresser shouldn't show up to work and dress hair and make their money? It's damn sure essential to them. They got to make a living. So that's scary when the government comes out and goes, oh, we well, you know what? In this bad disaster situation, oh, you peon, you non-essential peon, screw you. You just go home and you're just going to be a poor now. You know, the, the hell with you. Right. Your, your business that you worked, you know, 20 years to build doesn't mean anything to us. We're going we're gonna to throw $1,200 at you um, and that should make you happy. Well, yeah. How about, how about we take 1200 bucks and let the politicians live on it for 10, 10 weeks and see right. how they feel? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's completely asinine the way that they thought about that the way that they rolled out um these government handouts because i'm gonna that's what i'm gonna call them um you know the sba debacle the way they handled that the way that the big banks um padded their pockets and once again showed that they only care about themselves they only care about helping out their friends because it's the good old boys club with the banks giving small business loans to multi-million dollar companies with well over 500 employees um it's completely crazy and you know again i know we spoke about this previously um ballistic inc as a company did not uh need any of that we didn't even apply for it Uh, and from what i've seen Lots of small businesses that genuinely needed that uh, weren't able to access those funds because they got taken by the likes of uh, Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, Shake Shack, multi-million dollar companies out there that are just gobbling these things up. But to get back uh, to government overreach, there is absolutely no reason why they should be able to tell a private business owner that they're non-essential. As American citizens, as private business owners, uh, if I want to open my business, I am able to do that. And if I want to take the risk and roll the dice of having a customer come into my business because I need sustenance, I need to make money, um, and that person that needs the product that I'm selling or the service I'm providing is willing to come in and shop here, uh, those are decisions between two consenting adults that made that decision and there's a transaction there that person needs a product or service as a business owner i'm providing that product or service and there is in no scenario whether it is a pandemic whether it's a wartime issue whether it regardless of anything 
it is, it is our decision as private citizens and as Americans, as free people, to do what we want with our own business and our property. Oh, you're 110% correct. I mean, so you, you have to look at these situations like this, okay? This is the first type of mass countrywide situation of this type that has happened in my lifetime, okay? And the way I view it is these things bring out the worst and the best of people, right? Okay, so when something really terrible happens... What happens, right? Okay, imagine 9-11, right? All this horrible thing, the buildings were down, there was all this destruction, dust everywhere, chaos, right? What happens? The best people in your society step forward. Those firemen that are willing to go in that building knowing that they could die, or those policemen that might, you know, all the people that risked their lives, and many people died to save people and to clean up. I mean, look at the cleanup. So see, this disaster happens. All these people come out of the woodwork. What can I do? Right. What can I do? How can I help? You know what I mean? So that's what's so cool about this. And it's it's sad, the circumstances that brought about this. But there is a renewed sense of patriotism that exists in this country that didn't exist six months ago. People are getting out there and they're helping their fellow man. And it shows that people have much more appreciation for those first responders that are out there doing this stuff every day. Right. They're everyday heroes. And, um, you know, yeah, a, fo- a person that's, you know, going to hospital and putting in the work as a nurse or a doctor, they're putting themselves at risk. They're putting their families at risk. And it is, it is a great personal risk that they take. But they knowingly, you know, basically write that blank check to the people knowing that they might die, right, just, just from fighting this Chinese bug, right? So um, no one is going to certainly doubt here that, it does bring about the best in people. You know who in your society that if things got even worse, who you're going to be able to rely on because those people stepped up, raised their hand and said, here I am. What do you need? I'm here. You know, so the worst situations your country gets put in always brings out the best in your society, the best people, the most heart charging people that are going to go out there and make a difference and do the right thing. It's also going to bring out the worst in your society. And when I say worst, I think more along the lines of these politicians that they look at the first available opportunity to get out there. Oh, well, we need this legislation. We need that legislation. And oh, by the way, oh, we need this stimulus spending package to get uh, money in the hands of uh, Americans who really, really need it. Okay. Oh, well, let's add this pork. Let's add that pork. Let's add this earmark. They want to add in all their bull crap and they want to play pocket pool and they want to play political pandering. And they want to play the good old-fashioned, dirty hill politics with something like the COVID stimulus package. And then they have different phases of the stimulus package. Oh, well, here's just phase one, phase two. And then like phase four, Pelosi wanting to add a bunch of anti-gun legislation, wanting to add 5717 into phase four of the stimulus package. They can't just pass something clean. They've got to make sure they sweep their dirty laundry under the dang rug. And that's the issue on this thing, okay, that we have to watch out for is is these people are terrible people, and they absolutely relish in the idea of controlling their fellow man and controlling the populace, and it becomes a, a race to see who can get the most power, who can get that next notch in their political belt, who can climb that next rung in the ladder. And it's really scary. We have an entire subset of, almost an entire subculture of our country 
that they are their culture is control. It is the culture of control. And all they care about is how they can put their thumb down harder on people. And I'll give a really funny example. It's funny, but it's sad, okay? You look at situations like the wakeboarder, okay? The guy on the wakeboard out in the middle of nowhere, and then they get three boats to go out there and arrest the guy for wakeboarding, for violating uh, social distancing. Hello? You're wakeboarding in the middle of a deserted bay. Right. You're in the middle of nowhere. You're like, no one's there. What does it matter if you're wakeboarding? They're violating the social distancing by getting in a boat and getting out there and getting you. They're, it just drives me nuts. And then you look at situations like, all right, one of my favorite fishing places. I'm not going to say where it is, okay? But let's just say it's in the middle of nowhere in rural Florida, okay? It's several miles from civilization, and it is absolutely one of the most beautiful places that you could ever visit. And the towns that are in the nearby area are really small towns. They have not had hardly any COVID-19 issues because they're super rural and they're far away from any major airport. But they close their boat ramps down. It's like, wait a minute. So if I'm going to take a boat and put it in the ocean, I'm actually further away from society on a boat than I am on land. Okay, so you mean to tell me that I can't take my boat and put it in the ocean and go out to sea away from land and exist out there any way I want? So you mean to tell me that this whole situation, as bad as you may perceive it to be or the reality of what it is, that it's so bad that you have to pay somebody to go out there and take a yellow tape and put it in front of the boat ramp where nobody can go on the water? So... so, so it makes no sense why you would shut the park down. Like, and they were paying people to go around and put tape on the park benches and put, you know, do not, you know, police tape around the the playgrounds and, and water fountains. And, and it's just this fear culture that they want to perpetuate. It is a it is a counterculture of control culture related to literally selling you the fear every day on the news. And that's what's scary about it is the government controls the media and certain aspects of the government, certain factions within the government are more responsible for your news feed and the mainstream media than you're ever going to see. Now, certain media outlets are going to favor one side of the political aisle versus the other. But I think we can all agree that they're the majority of the mainstream media is definitely progressive uh you know, socialist, communist, you know, give everybody free stuff thinking. And they're going to, of course, support those people uh, that think that way. I agree. And I, I'll use a really, really good example of that. Um, so here in Georgia, and this got picked up by a lot of the news channels, and this kind of plays to your point. When the government goes through and, and, and enforces their strict overreach and they start taping off beaches and closing boat ramps, Georgia did the opposite. So Georgia had a statewide shelter-in-place order. However, Governor Kemp did something that was a little bit different. Uh, he actually he, he announced the shelter-in-place order. However, he opened the beaches at the same time. And this just goes to show how the media will spin it. The media immediately started putting out 
oh, this governor is confused. How is he going to open the beaches, but at the same time enforce a uh, shelter-in-place order? Um, well, the idea was he knows people are going to go walk on the beach. He understands that you cannot lock people in their homes 24 hours a day. They are going to go out. They're going to walk. I, you know, People are walking around our neighborhoods. I'm seeing a ton more people walking, running, exercising, people I've never seen before in my community, but I see it every day when I'm driving back and forth. Well, instead of making turning all of those people into criminals overnight and having a police force go and enforce all of these, these shelter-in-place violations, he understands to say, you know what, I believe that my state of Georgia and the people in this small community, because Georgia's coastline is not that large, it's a very small part of Georgia, I believe they're going to exercise common sense and they are going to go on the beach and they're going to walk and they're going to abide by the social distancing laws. Not It was not intended to have a spring break bonanza where people are going to go pitch tents. So again, instead of turning everybody into criminals that decide they need to get out of the house and walk on the beach safely, he opens the beaches and says, I understand people are going to go walk on the beach and they need to get out of the house. And this is a really good open space, plenty of room for people to walk, plenty of people to exercise. Instead, the media spins it into, oh, this governor is an idiot. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's talking out of both sides of about both sides of his mouth. When in reality, all he's doing is trying to give people that are in that community a place to go and not be turned into criminals overnight by just exercising. Well, you know, people can say what they want about Governor Kemp, but I believe that Kemp has made some pretty good decisions. You know, Kemp is one of the governors that came under some some flack from President Trump uh, because... You know, President Trump came out and was like, hey, Governor Kemp down in Georgia is opening a little bit too early. I think the the nationwide opening time was around the 1st of May, and he decided to open a week prior. So there's, of course, all these scientists coming out and saying, oh, we need to look hard at Georgia because that's going to give us an idea of what this the consequences are of not following the social distancing orders. The thing is, I, I believe that it's it's dangerous to open Pandora's box and encourage the government to be in some position. Like, why do we make it the new normal that, oh, well, the government should just be able to determine everything in your life, right? I mean, this COVID-19 thing, when it winds up finally panning out and we, we really go back and see who the key players were in all this disinformation and who the key players were in the data, and then, and then finally, if they wind up seeing the manipulation of that data and, and seeing that they, you know, sort of, flub some of the numbers and lied or whatever. Once that whole thing settles down and we kind of get back to what will be the new normal, although that normal won't ever really be what it used to be. All right. We we are, I believe, living in a in a relatively different normal than what normal used to be. I okay. Agree. There's always going to be a little bit of precaution necessary than what there was before. And I get that. But we should not encourage the government or or give them, you know, the keys to Pandora's box and say, oh, well, we're just going to apply this blanket solution that everybody has to follow. Oh, and by the way, it's these these politicians should be the ones to make that decision. I think that people and businesses and just people alike really should just be encouraged and empowered to live their best life. Right. Life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. It's really that simple. 
And for the government to come out and have the audacity to go, oh, well, non-essential businesses should be closed. Essential? Again, I, I always go back to this thing. You're dang right. Every single business is essential because feeding my family is essential, right? Uh, you know, being happy is essential, right? Thomas Jefferson, in more or less words, told us, hey, that if a law sucks, it's your duty to disobey that damn law. That's right. And get it changed, right? So, yes, there are people all over that have gone to these rallies and have protested for the shutdowns to end and that for people to get back to work. So it creates this backlash scenario that occurs from, again, I keep going back to the media, but the media perpetuates this whole thing. Oh, the people that are protesting are somehow wrong or, oh, the governments that are opening too early or that want to open, they're wrong because they're not following federal mandated uh, guidelines. And of course it becomes this pissing match between, oh, well, these people are right, these people aren't, and all of that type of thing. So um, with that, it brings some some kind of scary dangers, right? Just how powerful the media can be into chalking up fear and scaring people. If they want to push that narrative, they can push that narrative, and they're going to push it hard, and they're going to continue to talk about it, and they're going to make a big deal about everything so that they keep that fear chalked up, and it changes the overall public perception of how this thing is really being handled, okay? When in reality, I think most of us, okay, are going to handle it in a way that we see fit, right? You're going to wash your hands. You're going to cover your face. You're going to limit social contact. People are adults. They get it. Like, it's common sense. And it's just scary that we give the government that Pandora's box. And that's what I want to discourage people from doing. Don't be so quick to hand them the keys to the kingdom because... We have to live our best life, and you know what I mean? It's everyone's duty to pursue life, liberty, and happiness, and if a law sucks, disobey it. I mean, it's how we were founded. Our country was literally founded by rabble-rousers who hated the rules. So dang it, hate the rules. If you don't want to do something, don't do it. But I think that we do have sort of a duty to just overall decency and a duty to, to being intelligent and free thinkers. And I think it's safe to say you don't need to go around licking door handles and doing a bunch of stupid crap. Don't cough on somebody. I mean, common courtesy, just common sense. If people would just apply common sense to this situation, it would be fine. And then these places where they're saying, all right, well, if you go out on the beach, you're going to get COVID-19. You're not going to get COVID-19. Come on. I mean, it's just crazy that we allow the government to do that, that we allow them that power over us to determine how we live our lives. And you got to think, I'm not downplaying what COVID-19 has been and that it's hurt people and that it's dangerous. We're not downplaying that. Of course it's dangerous. The flu is dangerous. Gravity's dangerous. Water is dangerous. Lots of things are dangerous. Your car is dangerous. Saturated fats and all this crap in your food and all these preservatives, that's dangerous. So we're not doubting that things aren't dangerous. However... It's, it's clear to say that they are politicizing this, and it's scary to think about, okay, as, as bad or, or the perceived danger that COVID-19 is, and what that will become moving forward, and what that data will prove to us or disprove, all right, you saw what they did with that. So imagine some global-scale war, or say an invasion, or say um, some bullcrap 
arms treaty or, or anything that they want to create, be it man-made or be it a natural disaster, what's to say they won't take that concept and up the ante and that this wasn't just an experiment to see how people would react to the uh, infringement? Okay, so they go, oh, well, they're willing to take this, take that. Oh, there's not an uprising. There's not cars burning in the streets and businesses burned down. Okay, they were willing to take this. Well, what else will they take? And then the next time, how do you know, be it another virus or whatever, that they won't go, all right, this time we're going to take it up a step further. We're putting people in camps and, and no telling what else. Yeah, I mean, it definitely does serve as a litmus test to what they can and cannot do in times of uh, pandemics. Uh, you were correct. This is the first uh, pandemic slash crisis uh, other than 9-11 that uh, I've ever experienced in my lifetime. So hopefully it's the last. I will tell you that the media is playing a huge role in it. There's actually, um, if you go to YouTube, just type in Operation Mockingbird video. It, it essentially goes over and shows you how all of the different media channels across the U.S. were all manipulated at the same time. Uh, it's a great video because it's literally an apology from every single news agency on TV and they play them all at the same time, word for word. It's exactly the same. They're reading off of a script. Now, why is that important? It's because it shows you how fast, how quick information can be disseminated across the entire U.S. Whether it's factual or not is irrelevant. They have the ability to put that information out there at a very, very fast rate. Yeah, it's literally like a test of their dissemination capabilities. Right. Yeah, I think that when this whole thing like comes up for air, the government is going to view this as a giant training exercise. <laughs> that would be... Seriously, yeah, that, that yeah. data will be instituted into like a giant training regimen, a preparedness regimen. And now look, everything's a training exercise, even for civilians. Every single day that you live in this world and survive and come out of it alive, you learn something that you will apply to the next day in your life. So every day is a training exercise for us all, right? Simply living every day is training for the next day. But the government is going to go, all right, here's what we did wrong. Here's how we can drop the hammer even better next time. And you know damn well that's what they're thinking. Oh, yeah. Um, so I know the city of Atlanta, um, I don't know if it's uh, DeKalb County or the city of Atlanta, they're going door to door collecting blood samples um, to see, uh, and this is completely voluntary, but they are legitimately knocking on doors, asking for small blood samples just to try to get a sample size of, you know, who, who's had COVID, uh, are there antibodies? And I'm thinking in my head, well, why would I give away that freedom? What are you going to do with this sample? There's no information on the chain of custody. Who's it, who's it going to? What do you plan on doing with it afterwards? And I understand that it, you know, it's to, for someone to think, well, it's just a blood sample, and you're probably right, and it might be something very innocent. But the moment that you open that Pandora's box, and now you have, you know, thousands and thousands of people's DNA going, who knows where? 
this is the kind of stuff that you know they make databases out of, and and this has got a little tinfoil hatty, but sure, um, th- it's just interesting to think that under normal circumstances you would never give away a blood sample to a complete stranger knocking on your door with a badge saying, "Oh yeah. yes, we're just collecting this for our local government." Yeah, uh, and, and again, it sets a very very disturbing precedence because. It lets the government know, oh, well, we just knocked on their door and they gave us a drop of their blood. Yeah. Like, well, what else will they do if we knock on the door? Oh, right. well, if we start knocking on random doors and saying, hey, we want to confiscate firearms, how many people are going to give them up? So, see, you put that thought in their head and they start thinking about this, right? And it, trust me, they start running scenarios of how they can gain more control. It really is all about control, right? They work for the people. We are their boss. The people are the government. The people make up this country. The feds, it's a completely messed up situation, right? Okay, the new Netflix series about Waco. All right, I haven't had a chance to watch it. From what I've heard, it's very, very fair. And it puts a lot of thoughts into people's minds, right? Because the government wants to bury terrible things that they've done in the past. They don't want people to read about Wounded Knee and all the stuff they did to the Indians. They don't want people to read about the Trail of Tears and, you know, all of those terrible things they did to the Indians and the Native Americans and give them smallpox blankets and all these horrible, heinous things that they did to people, right? They don't want you to remember Waco and Ruby Ridge, right? They don't want you to, you know, remember all the terrible things that have been done to African Americans and all different aspects of our culture, right? They want to they want to have a revisionist society where they control the narrative and then they sort of suppress the things they don't want you to know, right? So that is one of the really cool things about social media and what it's really done for the populace at large is that it allows people to just have conversations and relationships with people, with their peers, and you can have an informational stream that is independent of those sort of um, mandated messages that get put out there. And that's the scary thing that we're seeing with this whole social media thing is um, like even the CEO of YouTube, Susan, she mentioned, okay, I saw a video and she's like, oh yeah, well, by this same time next year, we want to make YouTube a place where we can almost guarantee that it's like 99.9% free of incorrect information. Well, who gets to decide what that information is? Who who gets to fact check? I mean, like, who fact checks the fact checkers, right? Who is it to you to say, oh, those are your facts, and you're only going to allow people to report what your facts are? It, it, it's, it's basically getting to a point where they're not allowing you to have an opinion that differs from anybody else. And if you simply state that opinion or even try to get people to think that your opinion is gospel, even in the tiniest form, oh, you know what? You're infactual. Bam. You're gone. We're going to cut you out of here. And we're seeing a lot of that happening on Instagram, on Facebook. They're dropping people left and right that, that even even from a tiny perspective try to challenge whatever the narrative is. And I think moving forward, whether or not the social media outlets, and again, I hate to make this about social media, but social media is the battleground right now. Okay? They may eventually wind up saying, all right, you know what? We don't give a crap. You can call us a, a publisher if you want, but we're going to dictate what the heck goes out on our platform. If you don't like it, you can go pound sand. We don't give a crap. All right? But see, right now, they know that they're existing in a really, really slippery slope. 
They're literally at the apex of that slope, and they could fall in either direction. And they they want to be treated like an open platform in terms of all the financial benefits, the tax benefits, the government grants, the kickbacks. They can't be sued. There's all these awesome benefits they get as being a public forum, right? But they want to have the they want to have the ability to have editorial control over what people are saying and over what they publish. So they want to actually act like a publisher and get treated like an open platform. And that's the issue. They they know what they want to be. They just don't want to say what they are because they know that, that people are going to sue the ever-loving crap out of them. I mean, I've been on YouTube now almost 13 years. I was one of the top 50 YouTube partners when they were just rolling out the partners program on YouTube. I was one of the top first 50 channels to be monetized on YouTube. Back when, like, the the nerds working in YouTube were sending out emails to people directly. Like, this was back when YouTube was still a small thing. Like, it wasn't this huge megalodon that it is now. And we were one of the first, like, 50 to even think about having some form of, of business sense with YouTube or anything. Not to get off on that tangent or off on that line, but it's still a very pertinent thing in this discussion because it shows that these social media folks have gotten so big for their britches that now they think that they're a government, that they want to be in that club. They, they almost want to be a tiny microcosm of the government. And if the government. feds go to them and say, well, hey, whose side are you on? You want to be in the cool guy club? Well, this is a narrative that you got to push. All right, You want to be in this cool guy club? You want to have access to all this money and all these advertisers and all these people? Well, then, all right, you got to play by our rules. And our rules say that these people are undesirables and you have to find a way to silence them. That's what's happening. Well, I mean, look at look at how they're... It's a club and you're not invited. It is, and I think a lot of that has to do with when these guys are called into uh, Congress and they get questioned and hammered and they give these asinine responses and you know, ambiguous answers... They're not really held accountable. For example, when uh, when the Zuckster got called in and had a, a a hearing, and they were asking him specific questions, he would either not be a hundred percent honest or just not answer the question. And what were the repercussions of that? Nothing. So yes, you get called in front of a congressional hearing. Uh, you have all of these, uh, you know, House and state uh, representatives drilling you on specific security questions, data questions, huge data breaches, selling people's personal data, giving back doors, and what were the what was the end result? What was the repercussions of that? Absolutely nothing. 100% scot free. Well, there's a lot of scary things that are happening with that though. There, there's still right. unintended consequences that are that are surfacing from that. So because there's no repercussions why do they have why what's the incentive for uh, any social media conglomerate to play by the rules every, almost every single social media um company has been in front of a, a congressional hearing and they've all been drilled and nothing happened so when there is no repercussions it allows them to do whatever they want uh, they do get the pick of the litter they can yeah. they can choose to be a publisher or um 
a platform. And it, you know dang well that they've taken government grants, they've taken Absolutely. tax breaks, they've taken all these things because Silicon Valley, you know, of course, they employ a lot of people. So, so a lot of you know these companies that are employing a ton of people. You look at Amazon, you look at YouTube, Google, these huge groups of people that are employing thousands and thousands of people and contractors all over the planet, right? Yeah, I mean, there's certain incentives that come with that because it brings business to the lo- local economy. And, yeah, there, there's certain tax shelters and tax benefits that they enjoy for being such a large employer and from influencing so much cash flow. Right. right. It's, a, it's a large economy in of itself, right? Amazon is a sort of its own economy. And when you create that economy that is sort of self-breathing, then, yeah, there's certain benefits that come along from employing thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. The government would be insane to ignore that because it's in the government's interest to keep those jobs here because, obviously, the government wants to make sure their people are working and that they're employed and they can take care of their family. So there is sort of a a positive benefit to that because, yeah, we don't want our jobs being shipped overseas and things like that. But the scary part is is that when it ignores your – you know, core principles of what your founding founding fathers founded this country under, that's when it becomes scary. Oh, well, your freedom of speech no longer, that that's not a thing. That doesn't apply here. Well, the more places, right, if, if I go to town hall and I get kicked out of my town hall because they don't like what I have to say, well, I have the right to assemble. Well, when the government essentially subsidizes an entire ecosystem, whether that is a social media platform that cannot fail or whether that's an entire market such as Amazon that can't fail, or whether it's a large uh, media conglomerate that can't fail because they're government subsidized or because they get all these tax breaks and all these incentives, right? When that town hall now becomes this large microcosm that we helped create, people like me and you, I mean, I was one of the first 50, right? I'm literally like, I'm part of the lifeblood of that. You know, like we helped build that, right? So... When that town hall now is no longer a physical town hall in town, where, yeah, you can go into town and go to a city council meeting, and that's a town hall, and you can't get thrown out of that because you've got the right to, to peacefully protest, all right? However, uh, when that town hall now becomes a digital town hall, the big question there then becomes, I mean, how much do you want the government having their hand in that, and how much do these social media outlets want their hand in that? And it's totally related to this government outreach discussion, overreach discussion, because the social media platforms are clearly guilty of playing favorites when it comes to publishing, when it comes to search engine optimization, when it comes to related videos and algorithms and all of these scientific jargon and search engine optimization that goes in on the back end. They are clearly favoring certain political candidates, those certain political candidates that are being favored in the search engine optimization and search engine algorithms, those candidates, you know, support and further a certain progressive socialist agenda. Proven. And it's proven. It's it's science. It's there. And the government, all right, when you look at this whole COVID-19 and the shutdowns and the overreach, this is all just a giant experiment for them to determine how far they can go. And how far and for how long? Yeah, I think and using those outlets, like employing those as a weapon, an informational weapon against the civilians. 
It's true, and I think that a lot of that will be changed when we do have a changing of the guard. Uh, if you look at who is in power, I mean, you have, um, you know, there's really kind of dictating where that conversation goes. So you, when you look at who is lifetime or uh, life members of the Congress Club, uh, you have Pelosi. Uh, I mean, can't really talk without slurring. It blows me away that you're able to go on national TV uh, and be interviewed and you can't really string sentences together without sounding like you're uh, halfway through a bottle. You have a multiple term, life term congressmen and congresswomen that, you know, they just don't, they're playing the game and these social media companies understand that they know who they have to, uh, whose pockets they have to pad. They understand who they have to, uh, optimize the algorithm with in order to stay where they're at and i truly believe that when you do have a changing in the guard there's going to be a point in time where they literally die like they're just going to get old and they're not going to they're not going to be in in office anymore and as that younger generation comes up uh, i strongly believe that they are going to have the right mindset in order to to make those changes and when that happens, you're going to see a huge shift in the way that uh, the, the country in general gets information. Um, so when you start seeing that swing, uh, the younger generation, they're going to they're gonna start thinking, well, you know what? Let's change things up. Let's switch it up. We no longer have to depend on this particular company to get this information or this network to get this information. And you're starting to see that now as the younger generation comes and they're starting to lean a certain way and yes we don't always agree uh, but i do think that we are going to find that middle ground regardless if it's left or right because i believe we've said it in the past the true north is somewhere in the middle oh yeah and we do have to kind of find that find that the cream always floats to the top yep. right will always be right wrong will always be wrong and nothing can change the facts right and and that's clearly all right so i i want to actually talk about something that literally just came across my phone just now. This is perfectly right within the conversation that we're having, and it's totally pertinent, right? Awesome. And we'll end by talking about this. So uh, the public safety minister in Canada just put a ban on 1,500 types of assault-style firearms, right? Okay, they had a shooting up there. This guy dressed up as a cop, all right, and fooled a bunch of people and went around shot some people, all right? That's tragic. That's horrible. But wait a minute. Okay, a guy dressed up like a cop. So basically, in people's minds, at least what they saw is that a cop shot people. So they ban these firearms immediately. Like, they're going to do a mandatory buyback. And this is in Canada, mind you. But there was no debate. There was no, like, question period where people could submit, you know, data or questions or concerns or could dispute it or could have protests over it or could petition their politicians to not do something. They just arbitrarily, bam, decision. That's it. That's the scary type of thing we're talking about. Now, granted, that's Canada and this is the United States and we have a very different political system and that the Second Amendment is very much in the forefront in a lot of people's minds and it's super, super important. Lots of people extremely value the Second Amendment and with good reason, right? So 
This is the kind of stuff we're talking about, where someone can just swipe a pen and take away your rights, and there's absolutely no question that they can do it. And that's the type of scary mentality that people are worried about with the United States government, with the feds having the ability to just swipe a pen and make something illegal. And that is a terrible consequence of giving people that type of power. It's exactly what's going on in Canada right now. That and it's a... That is an exact example of how extreme gun laws don't work because Canada has very, very strict gun control laws in place. They have an actual registry, or they had one before it failed, where they, where they actually registered every single weapon. So they had a physical database of owners of weapons and it cost them over a million dollars a year to maintain this registry, which is one of the reasons it, one of the reasons it failed. But if you if you look at the actual gun control measures they have in place, they're extremely strict. Yet they're still going to go through, and even though they know who owns all these guns, they're still going to do a mandatory quote unquote buyback. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I really, really hate the idea of a mandatory buyback. And this is getting slightly off the vein of this video, but in case, or listen to me, video, the podcast. <laughs> but in case people don't know, I am very much against all forms of gun control. I can't stand it. I, I am 110% a 2A guy. Like, I am complete 2A, constitutional 2A as it's written, shall not be infringed. I am 110% that guy, right? I am pro gun as they come. Um, the feds, you know, you look at right, right today, okay? The day that we're actually filming this gripe, there are some 10 potential Supreme Court cases that are going to be potentially uh, put up for a vote in the Supreme Court and to be heard by the Supreme Court. So that's a huge thing. The media wants to distract people. Oh, well, we got a firearms ban in Canada. Of course they want anti-gun things to be on the forefront of that data coming right on the heels of a potential... Uh, you know, 10 different things that are going to the Supreme Court. All right. Well, the Supreme Court can just say, oh, well, we don't want to hear it. And the reason they do that is, one, they don't want case law to be in place, uh, according, you know, especially case law that's going to wind up benefiting gun owners. Right? right. And then, two, they can just simply say, oh, well, this is controversial, so we're just not going to hear this case. It's one of the most terrible things in the terms of the way that our government operates, is the Supreme Court's ability to just say, you know what, we just don't want to hear that. Yeah. We choose we choose what we, that's, what we want and what that's we don't scary. want. That's yeah. scary. That's scary, right? Because there are many, many times where in, in the history of our country where we've been one Supreme Court justice away from having steamrolled anti-gun legislation and anti-gun case law put right in there, right? We've always been one Supreme Court justice away. Even even the anti-gunners have said all along, if I get that one more Supreme Court justice that's anti-gun and I got the majority, guess what? That's it, America. Turn him in. Diane Feinstein said that. Mr. and Mrs. America, turn him in. She wants him. And there are many, many people within our government that they fear a well-armed populace that can protect themselves not only from each other that might hurt them, but from their own government. And that's why our Second Amendment exists, is to protect us from the government. Yeah, sure. You want to go out and hunt, shoot, skeet? Cool. That's fine. Yeah, you want to protect your families, your communities? Absolutely. You want to protect your car when you're out traveling? Absolutely. Do that. 
But first and foremost, it's to protect us against them. That's right. And right now, it's very much that us versus them mentality. I think there's a lot of people that are starting to wake up and realize the feds aren't exactly as friendly as they might make themselves out to be. Absolutely not. And I think this is a... I mean, that was a perfect example, and it meshes perfectly with the episode because this episode is about government overreach, and the only way to fight back that hand is to show your teeth. And like you've said uh, many times, uh, that Second Amendment is our teeth to stop that overreach. Um, As an American, I love the ability to know that if that time comes, we have the ability to fight tyranny. It's a very scary time to be alive, and never in my lifetime have I experienced a set of events that make me feel the way that I feel right now. I love my country more than I ever have right now, because I see firsthand what it feels like to tell someone that you to have someone tell you, "Oh, you got to stay home. Oh, you got to stay away from people. You got to do this. You got to do that. Oh, you got to wear this mask. You got to do that." I mean, it's scary. And how far could that go? How far down the rabbit hole will they take that idea the next time around? Maybe this time they'll learn from their mistakes and go, oh, we weren't strict enough. And of course, it's always more control, right? All all the way from when you're in kindergarten through any any type of, of formal education, whether it's high school or even up through college, it's always about some person wanting to, you know, institute more rules. They want more power. It's always, oh, I'm the authority on this. Oh, I'm the authority on that. It never can be. We want to encourage you to be a free thinker and to, and to develop your own opinion and be your own person. They don't encourage you to be a, a free thinker or to be a, a, your own person. That's right. They want you to be their person that thinks, walks, and talks, and does what they tell you to do. And that's what's scary about it is they are grooming society to accept them as their savior when something bad happens. And people need to get out of that mindset and they need to get more into the level of thinking that it's about people and it's about relationships, and it's about what we do for each other and the world that we help build every single day, the world that we help run every single day. That's the world that matters, not the pretend world that they exist in on their ivory tower, and they look down on on all the rest of us as just being an inconvenience or look down on the rest of us as just being a means to an end for more power or for some global goal or for some progressive goal. And I fear that that's the direction the government's going in, that it's all about the government and not even about the peons, that you're just either one, a means to an end, or you're just in the way. You're a tax slave. You're a wage slave. Oh, well, only if you're essential. Right. Though, That's what's scary. So... Guys, I hope that everyone enjoyed this particular podcast. Uh, I know we dove into quite a few different subjects, but we have pretty strong feelings about it. And, um, you know, I very, very much, I know I can speak for Matt here, you know, we've, we value liberty and freedom, first and foremost, more than everything. And we, we want that freedom to be there for everyone, all walks of life, no matter what area of the country you come from, what you agree with, what you disagree with, who you are, where you're from, all of that. You know, we want everyone to live free and take care of their people. And uh, I think it's one of the most American things you can possibly support is just good, old-fashioned liberty, freedom for everyone. That's right. Well, uh, guys, thank you so much for listening on today's podcast. We got many more on the way. Uh, I know we dove into some different subjects, but thank you guys so much. And uh, Matt, anything else for them? 
Nope. Uh, you know, live free, life, liberty, and the pursuit. All right, guys. See you next time. Thanks Bye. for tuning in. <laughs>